Welcome back. This is episode 4 of A Tale from Two Brothers. I'm H.C. Store. Last time on the shadow of Nisipote, we found Jacques sitting beside his mother's fresh grave, witnessing the dichotomy between Anna's pure kindness and Nathan's drunken brutality. With his cover blown and the law closing in, Nathan's plot to claim Jacques' inheritance became more complicated when William returns. Sick of the abuse and torment, Jacques is pushed past his breaking point and took a drastic measure to set himself free once and for all. When the ash settled, Jacques is left with nothing but odd terror as he watched Nathan wash the last bloody remains of his good mate, William, from his face. Chapter 8 A bellow came from the forecastle. Foremost! The call echoed aft down the deck from each sailor until acknowledged by the captain, who began to bark out orders. Jacques' eyes had just flickered open at the commotion when Nathan finished waking him with a swift kick to his side. Ah! He complained as the sudden blow forced his arm to move unnaturally ripping the seared flesh of his limb in spikes of pain. His memory was still fresh from the night cell. We don't need you all with fever. Just after boarding the black auger, Nathan had approached him with a bottle of whiskey and fresh linen. How his stepfather had grifted the captain into letting them aboard was still a mystery. Like liquid fire, the scotch drizzled over his charred arm as Jacques complained in tight squeals, tugging against Nathan's fingers, gripping his hand like a vice. Quit your carbon, Nathan chided. But it hurts. Jacques was in tears. Of course it hurts. Grit your teeth and shut it. He cuffed the boy on his ears for good measure and then unceremoniously tore strips of canvas for the wound. This will put hair on your chest. Make you a man. Jacques could do nothing but whimper as Nathan bound his arm. No matter how painful, he had enough fear in him that he wasn't about to rile his tormentor with a vocal objection. There. Nathan stood, pleased with his work. But it still hurts. Jacques complained. It hurts. Nathan mocked as he sank to the deck and looked around to see if anyone was watching. That fool blinded me, he did. Nathan adjusted the bandage over his bad eye and then guzzled more than a few swallows from the bottle. Should have guttered him the day he walked into me office. Jacques put away the hour's old memory and nursed his arm in silence. The only solace he found was the fact that being at sea was like finding a long-lost friend, the smell of the salty air and spray from the bow consoling the horrors he had witnessed. Jacques rocked slowly up to his knees and welcomed the morning sunshine on his face. All around him, the crew scurried like well-trained ants about the rigging, bringing the vessel into port. Aye, a proper functioning crew is a beautiful sight. Nathan hummed as if he could read Jacques' thoughts. Jacques nodded in silence next to him. Nathan's placid demeanor could change into a raging storm in an instant. 
he decided it was best not to sow the wind. Instead, he watched anxiously as the ship slowly came into port and then slid confidently to the docks. Me thinks it's time we be off. Abruptly, Nathan reached down and gripped Jacques by his collar and hauled the boy towards the open stanchions that marked the newly set gangplank. Quicker than he thought possible, the path filled with sailors. Nathan closed his eyes with a calming sigh. He could feel Captain Matthews approaching from behind. Oh, it'd be taking half them pounds now, Mr. Hodges, Captain Matthews demanded. Turning, Nathan stretched to his full height, his grip tightening on Jacques' shirt. And have you leave off for St. Peter's before we return? Fine for you, sir, but I am left in Falmouth without any guarantees. The scoundrel did his best to once again imitate the king's English. There had been an agreement of eight pounds sterling for the black auger to take them to Falmouth instead of sailing straight on to Guernsey. The captain narrowed his eyes. And what if you leaves off part, ne'er to return? Psh, well, I... Nathan stammered as if his indignance was inconsolable. I own the greatest house in Penzance. If I did, would not me wife make good on a small sum of eight pounds? I told you, I's here to see a man about me blasted eye. Nathan hoped the black auger had been away from Penzance long enough for her crew to buy the lie. Captain Matthews stood for a long time, chewing the side of his cheek. As the seconds passed, Nathan made a last-ditch effort, one he only held in reserve in case his lying and thieving had failed. Here, a pound note sterling, drawn on His Majesty's Bank of England. Shuffling in his coat, he yanked out a small stack of paper rolled in on itself, pulling free a single bill. Holding the rest in the air, he waved it confidently. I have the rest in hand. You will get the balance when we return. The captain seemed to shrink as he took the note. It's not that. I should have trusted you. Nathan tapped him confidently on the shoulder and chuckled. In a world of thieves and beggars, one can be none too careful. Jacques rushed to keep his feet beneath him as Nathan strode confidently down the gangplank and then walked quickly from the dock. Wait, I thought you said we had no money. Nathan chuckled again. Like any actor, tis confidence in your craft that counts. Pulling the stopper from the bottle of liquor he had stolen from the ship, he took another drink. And we is broke. That was me last lucre. Then what about the other notes? The other pounds you showed? Jacques pressed. What? All this worthless paper? Nathan shoved the wad into Jacques' chest with another laugh. First lesson. People will see what they wants to see. You wave a handful of script in the air, and they be thinking, Why, he's a royal butler! Jacques took the blank sheets of paper, spreading them out in his hand in disbelief. Then how are we going to hire a passage to London? We's going to steal it, lad. We's going to steal it. Jacques' stomach sang out with a muffled groan, the wedding feast of so long ago, a forgotten memory. Sounds like a wailing cat in there, Nathan laughed. 
I haven't eaten since... Jacques just let it trail off. He was not about to admit to the meal he shared with Anna the night before. Not that it had stayed in his stomach for very long. Aye, me bottle's empty as well. Nathan tossed the glass into the road. I be thinking it's time to use old rule number one. We don't have a pound note, Jacques objected. Huh? Nathan looked down, momentarily confused. Nah, me boy, that was lesson one. This is rule number one. When you's hungry, tis time to eat. How does that work? Nathan pointed over his knees as they sat at the road. We can take it from the market and risk being caught, punished by the constable right then and there. Or we can use lesson one and take the coin from the unsuspecting and buy a bit of bread. Jacques shrugged, indifferent, and slowly climbed to his feet as his stepfather stood to dust off and straighten his clothes. Jacques began to follow suit when Nathan stopped him. No, lad. You's perfect. Just like that. In fact... Taking Jacques' brown coat, he made sure the tattered bits dangled behind his bandage. One thing from here on out. You's gonna go by Jack. Jacques was indignant. But that's the name. We don't be needing more attention drawn to us, eh? Nathan overrode his objection. A filthy French name like Jacques raises eyebrows. The type of thing people remember. That's lesson number two. Be forgettable. Now, I's gonna teach you the art of cutting purses. We don't call people people no more. These whales, you see. Jacques nodded. From his back, Nathan swung his knife out, twisting it around his index finger by the loop on the end, before letting it rest in his palm. This here knife is the best friend I's ever had. See how it's hooked? Jacques swallowed hard at the heavy, crooked blade. The dry black of William's blood was still encrusted between the green wood handle and brass guard. Well, I keeps it sharp on both ends. That ways I can slash or I can hook a purse and cut it clean, you see? Nathan prodded Jacques with a nudge of his fist. Jacques nodded, unwilling to take his eyes off the glinting steel. So you cut the purse from the bottom? Only if you can catch the coin. Like if the whale's sleeping. On the street, it's best if you cut the tie. Nathan demonstrated in midair how he could lift a purse and cut it free in an instant. Once you has a purse in hand, you run like the devil's behind you, because if you gets caught, none is going to save you from old Bailey, you see? Not me, not anyone's. Jacques swallowed again and began to chew his lip. You want me to cut a purse? Nah, Nathan chuckled. You'd get nicked for sure. I'll be the one doing the cutting. Let's keep to our strengths, eh? All you have to do is go begging for tuppence like I taught ya. Remember our first lesson. Them's whales is gonna see what they wants to see. Nathan rubbed at the stubble on his face, spying out the gentry as they filled the street. Quick as a top, he grabbed Jacques by the arm, pointing to a fine gentleman in a burgundy coat. You sees him? We's harpooning that whale there. That one, putting on airs with his gold trim and fine. 
triple point hat. Jacques chewed his cheek, nodded with contemplation, and then started into the road. He had begged and grifted before, but this was somehow different. There was a palpable danger he could feel, stalking him in the very moment. Mr. McGuire's pocket watch burned his memory. Hesitating and then stopping midway, he turned back, unsure. Go on, get after him, Nathan prodded. The beast within his gut, agreeing with his stepfather, Jacques hurried across the road toward the wealthy man, making sure to keep out of the way of the coaches. By his fine seams stretching across his girth, it was clear the gent ate well for every meal. Slouching to sell the image, Jacques held out his hand. Tuppence, sir! Without a glance, the man sauntered down the lane as if Jacques was a gust of wind. The boy turned back, dejected, not knowing what to do. Nathan was running towards him, flicking his hand for him to continue. Jacques followed orders and hurried back to the front of the whale, pressing into his path. Tuppence, sir, please, just a shilling. I hasn't eaten in three days. Tuppence, sir. Out of the way. The man shoved him, continuing on down the cobbles. Nathan coaxed him onwards. Tuppence, please, sir. I'm so hungry. Jacques tried to slow the man in his procession. Please, just a copper. I'll give you a copper, you little rat. He grabbed Jacques by the collar, brandishing the burnished russet pommel of his walking stick to strike a blow. Instantly, Nathan mashed himself into the middle, ripping Jacques from the man's grip as all three of them collided. Why, you little urchin! Pick me pocket, will ya? Nathan struck the back of his own hand furiously so that it seemed it was a blow to the boy. He then tossed Jacques to the ground and stood between him and the whale. A pickpocket? The burgundy man shouted. Nathan turned to face him. He comes begging for tuppence, then suddenly he runs off. I fill me pocket, and me coin is gone. Behind his back, he waved his hand, motioning for Jacques to run. Recovering from the shock of the violence, Jacques felt the heft of a full coin purse within the folds of his coat. Nathan had cut the man's purse without so much as a flinch and shoved the coin into him before he'd even hit the ground. Again, Nathan flicked his hand, urging him to run. Jacques focused on the movement, his mind as slow as flowing molasses. With annoyance, Nathan landed a quick jab of a kick to his leg, his hands occupied with the man in burgundy. Taking the cue, Jacques shot to his feet and darted off like a rabbit into the crowd. There he goes! The man yelled. Nathan gripped the gentleman by his collars. Ah, you, let him go! If I didn't know better, I'd think you were working with him, you snake! With mock frustration, Nathan shoved away from the whale, darting down the street. Come back here, you whelp! Behind him, the gentleman croaked among the disinterested onlookers. Thief! Thief! Knowing Fallmouth about as well as he knew Katmandu, Jacques rushed among the people, bustling along the street without a clue as to where he was going. Taking a promising alley off the main road, Jacques flitted to his left in front of a carriage, spooking the horses. He didn't waste a second, 
and kept running until reaching the safety of the dark space between the buildings. His heart was beating fast, and it was difficult to hear over the thumping. Jacques' exhilaration at the game of thieving morphed into terror as his ears seized on the heavy footfalls running in his direction. Nathan's warning about being sent to the gallows bounced in echoes through his thoughts. He didn't waste another second, but launched into a dead sprint that drove him deeper into the heart of town. He dodged from one corner to the next, trying to put as much distance between himself and the constant footfalls that seemed to be gaining. As his limbs began to tire, he gave even more exertion, trying to focus more upon the heavy sack of coin keeping rhythm with his heart than the pain building in his side. The footfalls behind him began to grow louder, causing him to conjure up an image of a constable about to snag him with a noose. As he turned up a fifth alley, he finally heard Nathan shout from behind. Stop, Jack! Stop! Skidding to a halt, Jacques dropped his head between his knees for a breath. Nathan was behind, pulling them both to a rubbish bin while wiping the sweat from his lips. In an uncharacteristic move, he ruffled the top of Jacques' head with a laugh. A bloody hair, you is! I don't want my neck stretched, Jacques explained between breaths. Smart lad, Nathan grinned. Slowly chewing a stale chunk of bread, Jacques hunched over a forgotten table, fuming. They had taken enough coin in that one cut to buy passage to London on a mail coach, with sufficient left to fill their bellies twice over. Jacques was sure of that. Instead, there sat his tormentor, deep into his third mug of spiced rum, while Jacques was forced to gnaw on a lump of hardtack without a thimble of milk to wash it down. The whole tavern reeked of Nathan, and what little coin was left would be sure to fill the scoundrel's gut with more drink. Chiming wheels and pounding hooves brought every eye to attention. Even the well-soaked Nathan was suddenly half sober. The coach! he exclaimed. Let us be off, me boy! Downing his mug in one swig, Nathan roughly stumbled through two tables and a chair toward Jacques. Lifting him by the back of his coat, he proceeded to carve a path to the door, holding the bandage over his eye as it had loosened through song. Wait! Wait! Jacques struggled against the brute as Nathan continued to shove him as the door drew closer. Wait! Jacques' adolescent frame pushed vainly against the momentum of the full-grown drunk as the pair collided into the wall with enough force to shake the dust from the tavern rafters. At once, Nathan lost his footing and pulled Jacques down with him into a pile. Laughing with the rest of the drunkards, Nathan swayed as he stood and reached for the latch, but missed by inches. Exasperated, Jacques pushed Nathan aside as he got to his feet, opened the door, and bowed with a sarcastic flourish. Well done, my lad! Nathan crowed to more ruckus laughter. I just opened a door, Jacques grumbled in frustration. Now don't be selling yourself short. One day you may open a trunk. Or a hatch, or even a trunk. He ruffled the boy's hair with a belch and pushed him outside. The mail office next door was a bustle of activity, 
Like bees, men rushed about, pulling spent mounts from the way as fresh horses hurried into the yokes, chomping at the excitement of a good run. We has passed on, Nathan finished with another heavy belch. The coachman pulled a soiled kerchief down from his nose, revealing the inside of the cloth to be a rich royal blue. It was a stark contrast to the drab brown that covered him from head to foot. Next to him, the official postman sat like a disinterested sandstone statue. When he adjusted his grip on his blunderbuss, the dirt broke free, revealing the drab remnants of his fine red and blue cloak. It's this two and another fellow. The postmaster popped his head out from his office door. We'll get in. That's an old day. The coachman prodded. Jacques worked the latch on the filthy door and pulled it toward him. Nathan was already there. Age before, well, you. Dispatching Jacques with a wave of his arm, he slid to a bench and was mid-snore almost immediately. Jacques shook his head in disgust and climbed in. Once inside, he shuffled, straightened, and tried to get comfortable before giving up altogether. He was thick into a familiar daydream, a wheel of cheese and fresh-baked bread, when a brash voice stirred his attention. Take this to London and return just as quickly. There are too many thieves milling about these poor villages, so don't let it out of your sight. Blasted worms! Jacques's heart began to thump wildly. Slowly peeking around the corner of the door, he caught sight of the man in Burgundy. Next to him, a much older, sober-looking gent, dressed in black. Jacques yanked his head back behind the door, just as the burgundy man's eyes realized his presence. Fighting to keep his heart from his throat, his first inclination was to wake Nathan. The brute's guttural snoring shattered that illusion. A plan of escape rushed to the forefront of his mind. After all, he would be rid of Nathan, and he was sure he could find his way back to Penzance. The image of Nathan's bloody knife swept escape from his thoughts. Them's whales is gonna see what they wants to see. That was it. Jacques knew his only salvation would be a good disguise. Licking his hand, he ran it back over his greasy black hair, pulling it into a tail with a bit of ribbon he made from loose wrappings on his arm. Lesson number one, he told himself. If he looked and acted like the son of gentry, that is what he would be. Quickly, he straightened, removed his coat, and did his best to wipe his face clean, holding his gaze in a noble air of indifference. It was a disguise, maybe not a good one, but it was a disguise. I'll be back by the first of the week. The man in the black coat pulled back the door, his arms filled with a leather satchel. Would you like me to take that bag, sir? A male officer appeared from the back of the carriage. No! Both men yelled in unison. No, thank you. The man in black recovered. I will keep it on my person. All right, then. Very well, very well. The officer turned away. We have a schedule to keep, the coachman bellowed. Safe travels, John. The man in burgundy waved and closed the door. Instantly, his eye was on Jacques with a flash of recognition. Before he could blink, the crack of the whip ripped the travelers away. Half unwilling to let the door go, the heavy man ran alongside, 
his copper-capped cane pumping as he gazed at the sleeping Nathan and then back at Jacques. Opening his mouth, his cry was lost as he vanished from view. Jumping to his feet, Jacques leaned out of the opening to see the man struggling to his feet, his burgundy suit covered in muck and bursting at the seams. As the mail wagon turned a corner, Jacques sat back down, unable to hide his laughter at the sight. His gaunt face, fellow passenger John, seemed to be oblivious to his fat confidant's dilemma, interested only with his loud-ticking pocket watch and gold chain. Chapter 9 It had been a rough ride through the night. Jacques had tried to sleep, but it steadily evaded him. The carriage had bounced and jostled violently among the wheel ruts embedded into the wet earth near the coast. At some point, he had caught a respite when they moved inland and Jacques was able to catch a wink. This was short-lived, however, as the dust on the high road billowed and rolled through the carriage in white, chalky clouds. It left an awful, choking taste in the mouth, and soon he and John wore kerchiefs much like the driver. Nathan continued through it all, rocking back and forth in the wheel ruts, sleeping in drunken bliss. As the night progressed, the snoring souse became veiled in the fine powder, blowing in from the road until he looked as if carved in Italian marble. With a twinkle of dawn in the horizon, and just at his limit of abuse, Jacques sighed with thankful prayers as the carriage rolled to a stop. We have half an hour for fresh horses, the driver bellowed and tromped on the floorboard. If you wants to buy meat and bread, there's an alehouse here. No sooner had Jacques pushed the door open when Nathan shoved past. I need something to wet my whistle. Putting a thumb to each nostril of his nose in turn, Nathan blew the barrels clear, the powdery white mucus slapping into the road. Removing the crick in his neck, he pushed on. What about a bite to eat? Jacques called. Ah! Nathan waved him off like a fly and continued toward the pub. I told you about rule number one. If you be hungry, get something. Jacques looked around, dejected. Briefly, the thought of escape flitted across his thoughts. Disappearing into the town would be easy while Nathan became lost in his drink. Like lightning, the image of William's blood dripping off the murderer's chin banished that line of thinking. Jacques knew instinctively that no place was far enough to be free of the brute. Fighting his gnawing hunger, Jacques stared off at nothing as he leaned against the coach. Watching John straighten and finish shaking the dust from his clothes, an idea slowly percolated into the start of a plan. When John strode confidently away from the coach, Jacques was sure to keep his distance as he cautiously followed the whale. For a moment, fear of losing his chance forced him to run headlong across the courtyard when the man in black disappeared behind the alehouse. Jacques slid to a stop just at the corner of the white limed wall to take a peek to the other side. Like an abused pup, the boy peeked from his cover, watching as John stopped, took another look of his surroundings, checked his pocket watch, and then prodded with his foot a mat of grass beneath an old walnut tree. Kicking a few of the black moldy pods from his bed, he laid down in the garden, feet crossed, leather satchel under his head as a pillow. Jacques chewed his lip 
and began to slowly pace in a circle around the edges of the courtyard like a hungry dog. Every time he passed by the white stone corner of the building, just catching a glimpse of the man below the peaceful walnut tree, his eyes hungered for John's gold pocket watch, glimmering in the early morning sun. His mission became clear on his fourth pass. He was hungry, and it was time to eat. Jacques jumped when the door smacked shut behind him as his eyes tried to adjust in the gloom of the alehouse. Standing in the dank, humid air of stale beer, he wasn't entirely sure how he got there. He took a moment to gather his wits and thinking through his plan. His mind's eye flashed with images of Nathan's curved knife, the watch, and Anna's small pot of stew. Jacques's craving for a meal was a siren's call, leading him like a carrot on a stick to those three simple ideas. Knife, watch, meal. Knife, watch, meal. Knife, watch, meal. The mantra repeated as he spied Nathan deep into a liquid breakfast with his head slumped motionless on a table. He shuffled forward a step, then halted. Knife, watch, meal. Stealing himself, he crept across the room while rubbing nervously under his nose. Harpooning a whale was one thing, but a shark could bite back. Reaching out a timid hand, he furiously smacked the stool next to Nathan, then jumped away for the sot's reaction. When none came, he wasted no time, brushing back Nathan's cloak until his fingers connected with the green wooden handle. He pulled free the hooked blade. Cautiously, he let the cloak fall back into place, and then back slowly to the door. Thrumming with excitement, the memory of the smoky goodness of cured ham and salty cheese mingled together upon his tongue. It took all of Jacques' effort to calm himself as he approached his victim high on his toes, ever so slowly. He could taste the memory, but watching the sleeping man's chest dance rhythmically up and down, he knew it would stay a dream if he alerted the whale to his presence. Finally standing just a few feet from his mark, knife in hand, Jacques froze, the man's tricorn black hat blocking the light from his eyes as he slept. He nearly shrank from the assault, a tinge of guilt cutting at his core. As if Nathan were whispering in his ear, the words tickled the back of his neck. If the whale didn't want to be harpooned, he shouldn't have been so careless. Jacques nodded, the man in black had what he needed to satisfy his hunger. Like a snake, he slithered silently to his victim, making sure there was not an eye to behold his evil deed. The shimmering gold of the pocket watch lured him, but as Jacques touched the chain, he realized it was a thorny hook not worth the effort. What would he do with a watch? That would cause too many questions. Jacques' eyes flicked to the money purse dangling from John's waist. With a grin, he carefully knelt beside the man and pulled back the folds of his black coat. There was only a moment of hesitation at the pistol protruding from a vest pocket. However, it was a mantra, knife, coin, meal, that overrode Jacques' heart pounding in his ears. Placing his left hand under the silken purse, he let his fingers glide along the seams until he was sure the coin was within his grasp. Taking the knife, 
he slowly opened a slice just big enough for the shillings to timidly tumble out one by one. Oblivious to it all, John continued to sleep heavily, the terrible night's ride like an anesthesia to the world. With the work done, Jacques cautiously slipped away, leaving two coppers in the pouch. He didn't want to be greedy. Jubilant, he nearly danced away with a carambit and coin in hand. He could hear Nathan's voice in his thoughts. boy, lad. Them's whales need harpooning. Instantly, another sentence followed. Now give us the coins. I has needs. Jacques froze in his procession. Nathan would not leave him a farthing to sup. The scoundrel would take every tanner he could lay his hands on. Chewing his lip, he knew he would need to return the knife and explain his meal. But Nathan only needed to see half, or maybe even a quarter of the coin. There was no reason to tell him the whole story. Just enough to appease his appetite. I haven't the fuggiest blast at all! John argued with the postmaster, jingling the two coins in the onyx-colored silk sack. I would think that there would be security supplied to your passengers, especially at the stops. And how would we know if the coin just didn't fall out back in Fallmouth? The postmaster cocked his head with indifference. It has been cut! The man threw the purse to the ground. Taking his coat in both hands, he stretched it out before him. Are these the garments of a beggar? Nathan tapped Jacques on the shoulder with a wink and a smile. John took a seat and then quickly hurled himself back to the door. You will hear of this from your supervisors. As the coach started down the road, Jacques' conscience thumped in his ears in time with the ticking of John's watch. A bit of cheese, he offered as well. I have a good pumpernickel, or maybe... Aye, or a nip. Nathan offered, holding up a bottle of port. Smiling, he gave Jacques a light shove, relishing their game. No, no thank you, the man fumed, folding his arms. Nathan continued to chuckle until the drink consumed him. Jacques sat silent, convincing himself what he had done was right. London! The coachmaster bellowed, stomping the floorboards underfoot. Jacques was immediately up to the window, a soft breeze licking his face and blowing dust from his hair as it crested a small rise in the road. What lay before him was a sight like no other. The city, with all of its chimneys fuming into the crisp air, danced under the orange morning glow. Jacques had never imagined so many people pressed into such a small space. As they approached the grand city, it seemed to swallow them whole while the carriage rounded street after street, finally coming to a stop at the post office stables. This is it, the coachman hollered. End of the road! Finally, John sighed. Nathan was stone cold asleep, his hand cradling his empty glass bottle. Nathan, Jacques prodded. Nathan! Without warning, the drunken man shot up, swinging his curved blade out, nearly catching Jacques in the throat. His chest heaving, Nathan's red eyes grasped his surroundings as he withdrew his carambit. Sorry, my boy. My goodness, sir, John stared in disbelief. Tis me reflexes, Nathan belched, 
Too many fees on this road. Well, you might be a man in high demand. I could have used such reflexes a day ago. John huffed and alighted from the coach. Jacques quickly followed. Nathan took his time. Could I be of assistance? One of the postal men approached as Jacques and Nathan stood for a good while in the courtyard, trying to get some bearing. We has a meeting with an insurance company. We needs the banking district, Nathan replied. The postman's eyes darted up and down from Nathan's oddly bandaged eye. Well, you would want Lombard Street, he swallowed, shifting his gaze elsewhere. If, if it's with the big exchange, if not, they, um, they can point you in the right direction. Much obliged, Nathan tipped his hat. Chapter 10 Well, it would be highly irregular for me to just release the funds, the clerk mused. It was a smaller firm, not on Lombard Street, but closer to the wharf. When Nathan saw it, he understood why Edwin had an account. It was a shipping assurance firm. They had probably underwritten his cargoes from time to time. Highly irregular or not, them's pounds belong to me ward, young Jackie here, Nathan protested. His mother is dead, and he's going to need that money to get a leg up now that he's on his own. Would you think he'd just go hungry? Well, no, of course not. The man shuffled in his creaking oak seat, the dirty window to his left casting a shadow across his sharp nose. Adjusting his wig, he tried to explain. It isn't just a matter of coming in and giving a good story. There has to be, well, provenance. Papers? Nathan asked. Well, yes, proof. You know, proof that you are who you say you are. Nathan pulled back his dusty traveling cloak with great theater and retrieved several rolled-up bits, documents Jacques had not seen since the graveyard. Here's the papers. This one is written in Edwin's hand. This here document is the one of his death. This here one is me marriage to the late missus. And this here one is proof of Jacques's birth. The clerk looked over the manila pages, spreading them out before him, pretending to investigate with a round bit of convex glass. Looking up, he spies Jacques, who milled about in the office. Boy? Jacques pointed to his chest. Yes, boy, come here. The man coaxed him over with his hand. Yes, sir, Jacques stepped to him. What is your name? Why, Jack, Jack Hodges. His face instantly beamed with a smile. Looking up into Nathan's eyes, he could see the rage building, and he quickly retreated from his joke. Uh, but I was born Jacques Peters, named by my late mother with my father's surname, sir. And how did your father die? The clerk turned back to the pages. With Nathan's stern hand on his neck, he decided against any other game. In the great earthquake of Lisbon, the 1st of November, 1755. I was told he was aboard his ship, the Mary May. And your mother? What of her family? The clerk pressed. My mother? Margot Benoit Peters died recently, sir. She was of a great French family, married to my father, August the 2nd, 1743. I do not know my grandfather on my mother's side. She was disowned. Very good, the clerk interrupted. Do you have any other family? Nathan's grip tightened. 
Only my dear stepfather, sir. Well then, it would seem that the funds do belong to you. The clerk stood. I will need to get a draft and discuss this with the owner. And how long would that be? Nathan prodded. But a few moments. We have the guineas here. Nathan didn't stop pacing until the money was in hand. Once outside, he could hardly contain his jubilation. Five hundred in gold! We should get something to eat. Jacques could feel his hunger creeping just like the fog rolling in off the water. Shove off! Nathan pushed him backward, the mist swirling at the motion. You can get something to eat when you's earned it. Jacques chewed his lip. He had seen that look in Nathan's eye before. Those guineas wouldn't last through the week. We should save that money then. Nathan turned on the boy, gripping Jacques by the front of his coat. I'll tell you what will be done with me money when I've had a chance to think it through. With a shove, he released his ward. Now come on. London be full of all kinds of whales, ripe for harpooning. Jacques stood in the street. Of all the affronts he had suffered, this one grated almost as equal with Nathan dancing on his mother's grave. His coin? Jacques thought. That money was my father's, given to me. Every beating he'd suffered at Nathan's hand came rushing to his mind. He didn't simply loathe Nathan. He hated him. Rage bubbled to the surface. If he had the carambit, he would do the man like old William. The shock of the thought brought him up short. Could he really kill a man? Like a revelation, he turned to a familiar voice, saving him from having to answer that question. I still can't believe the great men are burned. What a spiteful man. Mr. Adelson was down the street, his words loud in his normal, bellicose tone. Jacques could see two silhouettes through the fog as they approached the door of the assurance house. The boy held up his hand, the urge to yell a call and run to safety almost all-consuming when another idea struck him. This was his chance. Was he going to cower like a child or be the man his father was, courageous in the face of death? With Mr. Adelson and Mr. Barrett this close, now was the time to act. Turning, he watched Nathan's silhouette saunter almost fifty feet away, completely oblivious. In a dead sprint, he ran into the mist, the cold moisture collecting against his face. His heart pounding, he knew he needed to get that knife from Nathan if he was to have a chance at the coin. I need to practice cutting purses, Jacques huffed. Nah, you leave the cutting to old Nathan. You just keeps begging for tuppence. But I think I could help more. Jacques pulled back Nathan's coat, reaching for the green handle. Nathan spun on the spot, swiftly striking his hand away, bucking Jacques to the ground. You cut one purse with me knife when I was drunk. Pulling the blade free, he let it dance in a circle, whipping through his fingers. Don't be thinking you're just going to be taking liberties you don't deserve. I'll tell you when you can and can't be using this here blade. Uh, I'm sorry. Jacques bowed his head. You're the only one I have left. I thought we were becoming mates. I just wanted to be like you. Nathan straightened. That soft bit of heart he tried to keep hidden from the world. The bit the drink seemed to harden, suddenly filled with chagrin. Here! He pulled Jacques to his feet. Then taking the boy's hand, he slapped the worn green handle into his palm. 
First, he has to get a feel for it. Jacques nodded, hanging on every word as if he cared. When the knife sits in your hand like your only friend, that's when you can harpoon a whale that ain't asleep. Nathan gripped Jacques's wrist, turning the blade over in his hand. When you comes to a whale, you hold it like this. That way you can keep it hidden. Then grip the purse and swing the knife out, cutting it in one swish. Jacques nodded. Like this? He tucked the blade back behind his wrist, the hooked portion ready to swing out with a flick of his fingers. Stepping into Nathan with a shove, he swiped his fingers behind the purse strings, and with a fluid motion, the blade was out, the purse of guineas quickly collapsing onto the cobbles. Ah, you! Nathan shoved the boy back. You has to catch the coin, and I didn't want you going and cutting me purse. Seeing his opening as Nathan bent down to retrieve the satchel, Jacques lowered his body and rammed his shoulder into his tormentor's face, tossing him back into the cobbles. Scrambling, Jacques lifted the satchel and turned to run. Mr. Edel! His cry caught on his tongue. He had not gone two paces when Nathan had him by the throat. You little thieving rat! No one steals from Nathan Rogers! No one! Blood poured down his nostrils as he jerked the boy's head around. Jacques struggled against Nathan's grip with one hand, swiping the air with the knife in the other. It's my coin! My father left it to me! I took you in! We was mates! I was showing you how to cut purses! Now you goes and thinks you're the king himself! Ripping the satchel from Jacques's hand, he reached back and caught the boy hard in the face. No one steals from Nathan, you hear? Shaking Jacques by his dark hair, he slapped him hard again, this time splitting the boy's lip. I was never your mate, you thieving, murdering cur! You killed my mother! Nathan's anger became uncontrollable. Tugging Jacques from the road, he stepped into an alley and shoved the boy to the ground. Several coins spilled out from inside Jacques's coat, scattering across the cobblestones. What's all this, eh? Jacques froze, looking up in terror. I, I, Where did you get them coppers? Nathan tugged him back to his feet by his hair. I, I cut them from the man on the coach. Nathan caught him hard again in the face. Still from me? I cut the purse. They were mine. Jacques argued. Nathan's rage overflowed. You cut it with me knife. You was to give me every farthing. Again he caught the boy in the face, this time his hand more bald than open. With each successive blow, his fingers curled in until he struck the boy as he would a man. The last Jacques remembered was lying in the muddy cobbles, his ears ringing, as Nathan quickly picked up the coin that had spilled, rifled through the coat of Jacques's limp body, and then disappeared into the fog. Beaten and left for dead on the streets of London, a glimmering ray of fortune will find Jacques and introduce him to a new kind of family. When we take a small leap forward of a few years, we'll see that Jacques does not merely survive, he thrives with his band of misfits. But when a new foe threatens to disrupt the new life Jacques has built, he will have to choose between his ego or his friends. 